your money today, Carolyn Wright delves into understanding the financial jargon around investment strategies. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. I'm joined by Stephanie Yuan, head of Hong Kong and Dowers, to continue our series of chats delving into the jargon you regularly hear on Money Talk. In our last episode, we're going to take a look at investment strategies. And thank you for joining me again, Stephanie. Hi, everyone. Let's kick off with DIY investing. What, what is that? And is, is it easy? I think with the proliferation of various investment apps, online brokerages, DIY investing, especially during COVID, we had more time during COVID when we were at home or working remotely. DIY investing, doing it yourself investing, i.e. picking your own stock when you have, you read the news, you read some blogs and do it by yourself is something that's very popular. And I think previously there are a lot of hurdles for doing that before the apps that came about. Yes, now it's very easy very convenient to do DIY investing, but make sure you have the guardrails, you understand what are the concepts, what are some of the strategies we're going to talk about about investing so that you can execute them yourself. Now, let's take a look at passive investing and how that compares and what kind of benefits it can offer as a strategy. Passive investing is basically use a passive approach. What you're trying to achieve is hug the index. So you have S&P index, you have Hang Seng index, you have Dow Jones, and essentially you're trying to sort of mimic the performance of these indexes and try to generate what we call beta, which is market returns, and not trying to actively achieve more than that. So that's passive investing. And in the US, um, there are a lot of passive funds that have sprung up. The advantages of passive investing is because you're not hiring an army of research analysts or portfolio managers to help you pick stocks, the cost of passive investing products tend to be a lot lower. So you have passive funds or passive ETFs, their cost can go as low as sort of a few basis point. So that's the appeal for passive investing investors that is an easy way and it's cheap and you're not trying to spend a lot of time trying to pay more money, trying to get the alpha, the extra return, but just trying to help market returns, which if you look at history over time, on average, equity markets in general on an annual basis over a long period of time would generate 7 to 8% per annum. So you're harnessing that market premium. Let's look at core satellite investing. That's another strategy you might hear about. So what does that involve? I really like core satellite investing, especially in a Asian context, because as I said, passive investing is something that in developed markets has gained a lot of grounds. I think closer to home, this part of the world, especially in Hong Kong, a city like Hong Kong, everyone has a stock ticker in mind that, that they always talk about. It is sort of sometimes for a lot of us, investing, actively picking stocks is something that we feel like is inherently part of the investing sort of experience, right? So core satellite essentially is saying you can combine the best of both worlds. The core part, essentially what we're saying, it's probably the core long-term wealth that you're trying to accumulate, whether it's the pot of preparing for retirement, uh, more long-term uh, wealth accumulation. You can consider having a diversified portfolio such as using passive index funds as your core portfolios. Then you take care of your core wealth. That can be 50%, 60%, 70%. It depends on your own preferences. 
And then you can create other satellite portfolios after you've taken care of your core portfolio. So satellites, depending on your preferences, if the part of satellite money is something you can afford to invest in the long term, maybe you can consider taking more risk. We mentioned a few episodes earlier, tech stocks it was very hot this year, but they can be very volatile. So maybe you can have different satellites. You can have a satellite that's global technology. You can have a contrarian view. China right now, people tend to have very bare sentiment around China, but you might think in the long term, Chinese economy might come back. So you, you're okay to ride out the volatility for the long term. You might create a small satellite on China, on ESG, et cetera, et cetera. But I think going back to why I like core satellite, it's again, going back to not putting all your eggs in one basket. You make sure that you have your core part of nest egg taken care of, and then you have different pockets of satellites. Again, I think satellites would advise you to be diversified as well and not put all your bets in one basket. And then you aggregate it as your core satellite strategy is diversified. And it also gives you that playful sort of stock picking kind of flavor in terms of investing that I think a lot of us enjoy. Let's move on to dollar cost averaging. That's something that I think even even you in, in conversations in the past, we've talked about this before, but let's let's go through it and let's explain it. What does it mean? So dollar cost averaging basically means, and I think in Hong Kong, a lot of us have heard of this other term where you use monthly investments as well. Essentially, you're trying to say on a periodic basis, you put in a sort of regular fixed amount of money to average out your investment cost. Because as we mentioned, sometimes markets are very volatile, go up and down. It's really very difficult to market time, be like, this is the bottom I'm going to go in. You might get it wrong and you might enter in the top of the cycle, right? The beauty of dollar cost averaging is you pick a frequency, but what you're saying is, I know it's very hard to pinpoint when is the bottom or when is the top of the cycle. But every month I regularly take out the emotions, sort of scientifically put in some regular investments to make sure that over time, because markets are up and down, on average, you probably would make sure you're not investing everything at the bottom or not investing everything on the top, but average out your investment cost. So I think, again, for those of us who are busy, don't have time to do a lot of research, it is more scientific, more hassle-free kind of way to think about, take out the emotion, take out the worry whether I'm marching in at the right time. It's quite a handy tool that we can make use of. Finally today, let's look at income investing. What does that mean? Income investing is something that I think very popular in Hong Kong. Essentially, what income investing is about, it's you really focused on the cash flow that your um, investment would generate. In Hong Kong, you have different sort of ways of harnessing income. You have people like to buy high dividend paying stocks. Um, I think it was very infamous uh, at a period of time. HSBC, it's a blue chip stock in Hong Kong, a period of time when they stopped paying dividend the stock price tank because a lot of people depended on HSBC to spit out the, the dividend. And when they decided to pick up the dividend yield again, start paying dividends again, uh, the stock price went up a lot as well. So uh, there, there is a lot of appeal to a lot of investors in terms of looking for dividends. But I think this example that I used is, and we obviously always uh, stress, is diversify. So instead of doing one dividend paying stock, if you're really looking 
looking to harness income from dividends, you can look for a basket of dividend-paying stocks, or you can also consider funds that invest in high dividend-paying stocks so that you hedge out your, your risk. Because sometimes even blue-chip stocks, things might change, business plans might change, they might not necessarily continuously pay out the same dividend payout. So again, hedging your different bets, dividend-paying stock or dividend-paying funds, it's, it could be potentially one avenue. And I think we talked about it a, a few episodes ago. For the longest time, income portion of fixed income for the longest time was very lacking. But with the pickup of interest rates in the past 12 to 18 months, fixed income, the income portion is finally back. So you also have bonds, you have very safe treasuries, um, fixed income funds, also yielding headline yields 4, 5 or even 6%. So that's also potentially an avenue for investors to harness income. But essentially what income investors is looking for, it's really about the income that you generate from that investment. And it could potentially be because you have monthly cash flow obligations, whether it's kids' education, the monthly tuition, or family sort of, uh, you have to sort of have these expenses for, for your parents or even for your mortgages, right? So income investing is something that's very specific about focusing on harnessing income. Thank you for explaining all of that. Always great to be able to chat to you. Stephanie Wen, Head of Hong Kong and Dallas. Thank you.